0: La France a perdu une bâtille, mais la France n'est pas perdu la guerre. France has lost a battle, but France has not lost the war. Whatever happens, the flame of the French resistance must not be extinguished and will not be extinguished. If the French believers rise up and embrace the strength, courage, and tenacity of their forefathers. they have got to keep the faith. Rise up and take the sword of the Spirit. And cut off the Mohammedan from his vengeance and his evil. Right. The problem is... The politicians' words are empty. Holland, Cameron, Obama, their words are empty. And they will not do what they need to do. It is up to believers to take the faith to the streets. Take the faith to the nations and rise up and be the resistance. There was a lady in the Second World War, her name was Pearl Witherington Cornely. Her code name was Pauline. This is what she said. Her words, over half a century ago, they echo the very words that are In fact, a reality today, not about the Germans and the Nazis, but about Islam through the Syrian migration. And this is what she said. In Paris, I found myself surrounded by Germans. They were all over the place. They played music, and people would go and listen to them. They would listen to them along the Rue de Rivioli. And as far as you could see from the Place de la Concorde, there was enormous swastikas banners. And I just thought, this is impossible. Imagine that someone comes into your home, someone you don't like. He settles down, gives orders. Here we are. We're at your home now. You must obey. To me, that was unbearable. And that is what the leaders of the world have let happen. Not only in France, but do you think that our southern border is any more secure? Because the Obama administration has already fast-tracking Syrian refugees, thousands of them, to come into this country. Yet it was a Syrian refugee that was one of the terrorists in France last night. You see, we have to understand that ISIS, ISIL are the army of the globalists. And they send them where they send them to destabilize, to cause fermenting trouble, so that then they can implement chaos and then order will come out of chaos. More government, new world order. ISIL and ISIS are the army of the globalists. And they deliberately put these actions in to cause the type of things that they know will happen. And then they come before the people with empty words. It's literally going to take believers to stand up and learn from history so that we do not make the same mistakes just a few months ago when there was the riots in Ferguson, you can look this up on the newspapers. There were banners that said ISIL, ISIS is here in America. If you don't think ISIS and ISIL are here in America, then you are not paying attention with our southern borders, Arizona, Texas, and what is happening. So we need to sober up And we need to pray that Yahweh would equip his people with a voice, a clarion call of action and to action. This week, the title of this week's message is Thanksgiving, the federal blueprint for internment, treaties, and treachery. Because we can whitewash over it in a couple of weeks and we can all get together and have great time with our family, but there's nothing wrong with that. But let's remember our history, true history, so that we can be prepared for what's about to come in our very future. You see, the federal government declared the last Thursday in November as the legal holiday of Thanksgiving in 1898. Columbus Day, Thanksgiving Day, these are odd American traditions to me. I mean, they are soaked in myth and mayhem. In fact, I think we have a clip for you that we can show you. You see, Yahweh gave us a charge. To come to this land in peace and share the great message of his son. In turn, we were supposed to receive a message of loving your neighbor and land stewardship. Because there's no other people on the face of the earth that understood loving your neighbor more than the First Nations people. Because their neighbor was literally their family. So they loved their neighbors. They loved the poor. And they loved the sick. Because they were their own family. And they understood land stewardship. But what they didn't understand is they worshipped the created things. Instead of the creator in many, many of the tribes. So we had a charge the Europeans to come over here in peace and, and receive, send the message of Messiah. But in turn receive the message of land stewardship and loving your neighbor. But we didn't do our part. You see, the message of the Malkitzedic priesthood is a message that needs to go to the native peoples, the first nations. But also, we need to understand how to worship, dance, and praise Yahweh in the way that the people of this nation know how to do it. Who says that our culture of the way we worship is right We've done a teaching on Davidic dancing, and we know that's just gypsy dancing. You see, there's nothing wrong with culture. It's only when culture becomes syncretism and becomes worship and a form of idolatry. But we need to hope and pray that this message goes forth, because quite honestly, there needs to be healing in this land for us to move to the next level of what Yahweh is doing in the kingdom realm. So I hope today, with this message, we can really understand the truth about Thanksgiving so we can move forward in hope and reconciliation with the First Nations people. Thanksgiving, the federal blueprint for internment, treaties, and treacheries. It was, of course, old Christopher Colombo who was a what? Christopher Colombo, the one that we all celebrate who founded this nation. But really, is that what happened? You see, he gave the people the name Indios, Indios. And with all the different dialects that there were with the white men, some pronounced the word Indian, some pronounced it Indiana, and some pronounced it Indian. But it originally came from Christopher Columbus and the Indios. Sometimes they would call them the Pearl Rougets, or the Redskins, which came about much later. Columbus returned the hospitality of the Tainos Indians by kidnapping 10 of them. Wasn't that nice? And then he took them back off to Spain. They were, of course, fully hospitable to him, but he kidnapped 10 of them and took them back to Spain, and that was the year 1492. Of course, Columbus was none other than a crypto-Jew. He was a crypto-Jew, and he was financed by the Jesuits and the European money merchants. The crypto-Jew left Spain just a few days before the deadline for the last Jews to leave Spain, of course, that was the time of the persecutions that were going on in Spain, and his ship set sail just a few days before the last edict of all the Jews were, in fact, to leave Spain. And we're to believe that Chris Colombo founded America. Turn with me to Melachim Aleph, First Kings chapter 9, verse 26, because I think we'll find, in fact, that he did not found america and melech shlomo and king solomon made a navy of ships in etzion gerber which is beside eloth on the shore of the red sea in the land of edom first kings chapter 9 verse 26 and hiram sent in the navy his servants shipmen that had knowledge they had chokma; they had knowledge of the seas and with his servants of Solomon and they came to Ophir and they fetched from their thence gold 420 talents and they brought it to King Solomon. So we learn from the scriptures that King Solomon had great wisdom and he had a great naval shipyard and that he had men that had great wisdom and knowledge of the seas. In fact, he sent them far off and they came back with 420 talents of gold, but it was a specific kind of gold. It was the gold of where? The gold of Ophir. You see, King Solomon was in alliance with Hiram, the king of Tyre. You can read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 2. The Israelites and the Phoenicians worked together to build the temple of Yahweh, didn't they? The Israelites and the Phoenicians, the Phoenicians. And you can see that in verses 13 through 18. But this alliance that the Israelites had with the Phoenicians, it included shipping, merchant shipping. Second Chronicles, chapter eight, verse eight. Turn with me there. Then went Solomon to Esion-geber and to Eloth, at the seaside in the land of Edom. And Horan sent him by the hands of his servants ships, and servants that had knowledge, Hokmah, great knowledge, secret knowledge of the seas. And they went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir. And they took thence 450 talents of gold and brought them to King Solomon. And say to Tyre, O you who dwell at the entrance to the sea, who are the merchants of the peoples of many islands and coastlands, the inhabitants of Zion and the island of Aravad, where your oarsmen, your skilled wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots." The old men of Gibal, this is a city which, of course, is north of Sidon. The old men of Gibal and its skilled and wise men in you were your calkers. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to deal in your merchandise and trading. So we learn that Solomon with the Phoenicians were great shipmen, He had a naval yard, and they were in the business of traveling afar, overseas, returning with gold, and they were into trading. Trading. Of course, we know that the first peoples were the trading peoples, first nation peoples, often called Native Americans. Ezekiel chapter 27 We see the prophet Ezekiel goes on, Your rowers brought you out into the great and deep waters. The east wind has broken and wrecked you in the heart of the seas. When your wares came forth from the seas, you met the desire and the demand and the necessity of many people. You enriched the kings of the earth with your abundant wealth and merchandise Now you are shattered by the seas. The Bible text is describing a globe-trotting nautical nation, is it not? It's describing Israel's connections with the Phoenicians, Solomon's navy yard, as a globe-trotting nautical nation. There's no doubt in it that the scripture is clear on that trading in gold, trading and crossing great oceans throughout the entire earth, and in its quest it was looking for what? They were looking for material goods to trade. First Kings chapter ten, Melechim Aleph, verse twenty two. For the king Solomon had at sea a navy in Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. So they were together joined. A great naval shipyard. Once in three years came the navy to Tarshish. What? What? Let's back up again. For the King Solomon had a sea, at sea, a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Now we've got a time marker. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold, bringing silver, bringing ivory, and bringing peacocks. There's your time marker. Ferdinand Magellan circumnavigated the globe In 1519, and do you know when he returned? 1522. How long did it take him? Three years. Sir Francis Drake, of course, the first Englishman to circumnavigate the globe. He left in 1577. And when do you think he returned? 1580. And what does the Bible say? The king Solomon had a sea navy of at Tarshish with the navy of Hiram, and once in three years came the navy of Tarshish. After they had circumnavigated the globe, they brought back what silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. And they would circumnavigate the globe, and they would circumnavigate the globe. And they would circumnavigate the globe. And this is how they built the temple. With the gold and the majesty that they found where? You see, we have to understand our history. But of course, they don't want you to know your history Because the victors like to make it all up, don't they? Just like these bloody politicians that don't want to tell the French youth of their history of the resistance, of the great forefathers, how they fought and fought and fought. No, they don't want them to remember that kind of history because guess what? The French people will rise up and say, no more. We're not listening to the lame, empty words of politicians. We're going to take action in the root cellars, in the cafes, and we're going to organize and we're going to take back our land. You see, history is very dangerous. Very dangerous. When it's true. You see, the Ten Commandments were actually discovered in Paleo-Hebrew. The Star of David was also discovered in an ancient Native American burial mound of the Pueblo Indians in New Mexico. Why don't they teach your children that in public school? You mean the Paleo-Hebrew Ten Commandments were found in a Native American burial site in New Mexico? Archaeologically, they were found... What does does that mean? What does... Does that discovery mean? Early English settlers in the Americas found among some of the Indian tribes, they also found to fill in phylacteries. They found phylacteries. They, find, they also found Minoan and Phoenician coins have been found in these United States, with inscriptions of ancient Phoenician words on them in Minoan scripts. These were found in Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and New Mexico. If you really want to dig into this a little bit more, you've got to read The Art of Terracotta Pottery in pre-Columbian Central and South America by Dr. Don Wathenew. Very fascinating He documents all of the pottery and all of the Hebrew-Israelite articles that have been found in these United States. Now, in in 1780, on a rock on the shores of Mount Hope Bay in Bristol, Rhode Island, there was discovered an inscription, which fell deciphered in 1975. Fell deciphered it, and this is what it reads. Voyagers from, voyages from Tarshish, this stone proclaims. Like I said, tefillin phylacteries, were found in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, in the early 19th century, in the 1800s, in an ancient Indian burial ground. In 1860... Stones hewn with Hebrew inscriptions were found near Newark, Ohio. And here's a quote. Here's a quote from a letter from President Thomas Jefferson to John Adams in 1803. Okay, this is a letter from President Thomas Jefferson to John Adams in 1803. Quote, all the Indians of American to be descended from the Jews, the same laws, usages, rites, and ceremonies, the same sacrifices, priests, prophets, fasts, and festivals, almost the same religion, and that they all spoke Hebrew. What? Why doesn't this get taught when we learn about Thomas Jefferson you see we don't realize today the belief of the Native American Israelite connection it proliferated widely in the early 1800s many people understood this it was taught it was well known it was published in national newspapers in the early 1800s, it was established that there was a connection between the First Nations peoples and the Phoenicians and the Israelites, not only through language, custom, religion, but also archaeological evidence. In fact, the Mormons based a whole religion upon it. A whole religion upon it. Mariano Edward Rivero and John James Von Tushti in the Peruvian Antiquities of 1857 point out the points of agreement, this is fascinating, between the American Indians and the Hebrew people. This is what they write. This was, of course, 1857. Quote, like the Jews... The Indians offer their first fruits. They keep their new moons and the Feast of expiations at the end of September. Or in the beginning of October, they divide the year into four seasons, corresponding with the Jewish festivals. In some parts of North America, circumcision is practiced. There is also much analogy between the Hebrews and Indians in that which concerns various rites and customs such as the customs of purification and those of the ritual bath, fasting and the manner of prayer. The Indians likewise abstain from the blood of animals as also from fish without scales. They consider diverse quadrups unclean Also certain birds and reptiles. And they are accustomed to offer as a holocaust the firstlings of the flock. 1857. Hebrew words were even used in religious performances of the North American Indians. The Indians would call an accused or guilty person, this is what they would call him. And haksit kanana, a haksit kanana, a sinner of Canaan. And if someone wasn't paying attention during a religious ceremony of worship, this is what they would call that person. A tishki haksit kanana, you resemble a sinner of Canaan. Where did they get these words from? Now, Beverly Northrup, she's a spokesperson for the northern Cherokee Nation of the old Louisiana Territory. And this is what she says. The story has been kept alive among our Cherokee people that the Sicari, who escaped from Masada are some of our ancestors who managed to cross the water to this land and later became known as the cherokees the cherokees excuse me the sicari those who had the short dagger the assassins those that we've talked about some would pronounce it Sisari, but they had the the short sicca the dagger those that escaped to masada according to the spokesperson for the cherokee this is where the cherokee come from that's their ancestors Many of the Indian tribes would actually cut their hair short as a mourning rite for the dead. There's a strict prohibition against that, isn't there, in the Torah because it was a mourning rite that the Canaanites practiced. Yet we see that the native peoples, they practiced that. Where did they get that from? There's also, in the very same structure of the Torah text, a prohibition against cutting yourself and pouring ink into the cuts as a mourning rite for the dead. This was a Canaanite practice, and the Indian native peoples often did that. In fact, the chief that we presented in the opening monologue there did that before he would go out to war. Santana would slice his back for a mourning rite because he was going out and he knew that he would lose many, many of the braves. But that's what he did. You see, they picked up many of these Canaanite customs along with the Hebrew customs like tefillin, peyot, The side locks. And what did the native peoples do? They grew their hair out and braided it down the side. But there are many, many archaeological evidences in the pottery shards. And I gave you the name of that book if you want to really dig into it. You see, the American Cherokee Indians worshipped the supreme being. And they named the supreme being Yehovah, Yehovah, Yehovah. The Cherokees have three actual cities of refuge as well. They have stories of the Great Flood and many other Old Testament stories. They also adhere to the prohibitions found in the Ten Commandments. And the Cherokees keep one day without work for prayer. And the name for the Cherokee people is this Ani Yun Weya, Ani Wun which in English means the principal people, or akin to the people of Yah. Fascinating, isn't it? But remember how I began the narrative in the Scripture that the ship merchants would travel overseas to look and locate certain items for trading. And it would take them three years to circumnavigate the globe, just like the history tells us it took three years to circumnavigate the globe. And every three years, they would come back with gold, And where would they get that gold? Isaiah chapter 13 verse 12. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Remember the key word, Ophir. But now we've been given some more information. Not only Ophir, but there's this thing called a golden wedge of Ophir. What's that? Let's locate that. Brother Sean, can we um, get the duct tape out and the um, plaster cuffs next door? Where was the legendary Ophir? And what is this golden wedge? You see, the Hebrew word for wedge is very interesting. It is leshonah, leshonah, and it refers to a bar Or an instrument of gold, literally a tongue of gold. It means a tongue of gold. Isaiah was referring to an instrument of gold that was famous in Ophir. He was referring to an instrument of gold that was famous in Ophir. And now this leads us to Peru and the Incas. Because the Inca Empire of Peru was famous for what? It was famous for the quality and quantity of the gold that it produced. The modern Quichua Peru means a granary or storehouse. In modern Quichua, Peru means a granary or storehouse, a storehouse for gold. One of the first kings in the region was Manaco Capac. Manaco Capac. And he founded the city of Cuzco. Cuzco, excuse me, Cuzco. And we read in the Incas of Peru by Markham, and he wrote in in this book, the Incas of Peru on page 50 and page 53, this is what he says. He took with him, speaking about the king He took with him a golden staff when the soil was so fertile that its whole length sank into the rich mold that there was to be the final resting place. You see, he records that there was a king who had this golden wedge or this golden staff, and it was referred to by the Incas as a scepter of gold about a yard long, And two fingers thick. And this was in Markham's book, The Royal Commentaries of the Incas, on page 64. This was none other, I believe, than the golden wedge that Isaiah the prophet is talking about when they would go to where? Ophir. When they would go to Ophir. This is the golden tongue mentioned by the prophet Isaiah. The golden wedge of Ophir. Peru was the Ophir of Solomon. Peru was in fact settled by Ophir. And who is Ophir in the scriptures? Who is he? None other than what? The grandson of Noah. He settled it. Genesis chapter 10, verse 29. (laughs) But let's take away your Bible. Let's take away your history. And all of a sudden, we've got a crypto Jew called Christopher Columbus who was a slaver. The ancient seafaring Israelites discovered the Americas. Can we be real? Can we be honest? Now, oftentimes, I wonder now, in the course of things, 10 years down the road, the name of this ministry is called called Torah to the Tribes. And I would never have thought I would be delivering this message. But it's funny, over the years, people have come and said, Oh, are you, do you teach to the native peoples? They think tribes, you know, Native Americans, the First Nations. Interesting. In fact, one time, many, many years ago, when we were very, very, Phara- all right, I was very, very Pharisaic. We used to meet in a hotel, and we had this ballroom area that we would meet every Shabbat. And I, at that time, I had a big tallit with, encrusted in silver, and we did all the religious pomp and ceremony. And I had this, this new gentleman came. He'd heard about us, Torah to the tribes. And we, 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 we you know, got the talits out, we're Baruch Atah, Yahweh Elohim. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're, we're doing the blessing, the blessing for the prayer shawls. And he's like, oh, you are? I said, yeah. He said, can 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 I can I can I wear my prayer shawl? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. He's like, well, well is there is there anywhere to change? And I looked around, we're in this hotel, but I'm like, there's a there's a cupboard over there. That that's about the only place there is to change. He's like, okay, can can you wait and do the prayer blessing for the prayer shawls in a two minutes? So take me two minutes. Okay, so we talk amongst ourselves at the congregation there. All right, he goes into the cupboard. We're all lined up with our talits. And out comes this guy out of the cupboard. He's got the full-on Indian headdress. He's got it all, and he's like, I'm ready. <laughs> and we're like, all right. Torah to the tribes. Here we go. So, you know, I, I do have a funny story in connection with this teaching, but we... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing stuff. But when did the white man come to these lands? Well, the white man stepped foot in Virginia in 1607. Virginia was the land, of course, of the Powhatans, the Powhatan Indians. And they were already familiar with the civilizing techniques of the Spaniards. Very, very familiar with the civilizing techniques of the Spaniards. You see, but the English, they were way more crafty than the Spaniards. They put a crown upon the head of the leader, and I'll see if I can pronounce his name. Oh, I've got to be careful how I pronounce this. Wahan Sonakuk. Sonakuk, he was the leader of the Powhatans, and they dubbed him King Powhatan. And later, John Rolfe married his daughter. You see, they knew how to work the local leader. Let's just place a crown on his head, then let's marry into the family, and then we can begin to take over. And of course, he married the chief's daughter, John Rolfe did, and her name was the one that appears in the wonderful children's cartoons, Pocahontas. Why? To solidify trading relationships. That's why they did it, to solidify the trading relationships. Now, after King Powhatan died, the Powhatans, the tribe, they rose up in revenge. Why? Because of the savage treatment that they had received at the hands of the white people. 8,000 of the Powhatans were reduced to hundreds in just mere years of encountering the white man. I mean, you think Donald Trump is a real estate tycoon? You think Donald Trump does well? He's got nothing on the Dutch. Nothing. Nothing on the Dutch. They came to Manhattan Island and they purchased Manhattan Island for 60 guilders in fish hooks and glass beads. Now, that's some real estate tycoons right there. 60 guilders in fish hooks and glass beads. Should be ashamed of ourselves. You see, Thanksgiving was not about religion. Had it been, the pilgrims never would have invited the heathen Indian to join them. So oftentimes you'll hear, oh, it was, you know, a religious... No, if it had been about religion with the pilgrims, they would never have invited the Indians to partake. There's no way. You see in the middle of winter in 1620 the English ship the Mayflower landed on the North American coast delivering the 102 exiles but the original native people of this stretch of shoreline they had already been killed off they'd already been killed off because in 1607 and later in 1614 a British expedition had landed there and delivered what smallpox Of course, when they left, they took 24 slaves with them and they left smallpox behind. And that's how it all started. So, by the time the Mayflower came here, they'd already been decimated as a people, decimated. Three years of plague wiped out 90 to 96% of the inhabitants along the coastline. 90 to 96%, destroying most of the villages completely. In preparation for the Europeans. This is a Thanksgiving sermon that was delivered in Plymouth in 1623 by Mather the Elder. Quote, well, in it, firstly, Mather the Elder, he gives special thanks to God for the devastating plague of smallpox, which had wiped out the majority of the Wanapoag Indians who had been their benefactors. You see, they praise God for destroying the Indians because this was their mindset back then. Listen, quote, Chiefly young men and children, the very seeds of increase, thus clearing the forest to make way for a better growth meaning the pilgrims. You see, the colonialists, they would embrace this line from Scripture, Psalms 2 verse 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And that was the battle cry, the battle cry of the colonialists you see how the twisting of scripture can cause devastation to whole cultures but let's look at thanksgiving that thanksgiving week in 1621 at the plymouth plantation because the europeans landed and they built that colony and that colony was called called excuse me the Ply- plymouth plantation and they built that plantation near the deserted ruins of the indian village of po Tux Wexed. The Puritans were not just simple religious conservatives as we've been taught. Oh, these pure religious conservatives that were fleeing the persecution. I mean, that's what they tell you. But it's not quite true. Yes, they were being persecuted by the king. Yes, they were being persecuted by the Church of England because they did have unorthodox beliefs. They were, in fact, none other than political revolutionaries, which not only intended to overthrow the government of England, but they actually did overthrow the government of England in 1649. You see, in 1643, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, declared themselves an independent confederacy, 143 years before the American Revolution. They believed in the imminent occurrence. Armageddon is coming! And they believed that Armageddon was descending on Europe. Many of us would think the same thing after this weekend, would we not? Would we not? But they hope to establish here in these United States, in this new world, none other than the kingdom of God foretold by the book of Revelation. That's what they hope to do over here. They diverge from their Puritan brethren who remained in England only in that they had little real hope of ever being able to successfully overthrow the king and parliament. And thereby, they did not think that they would be able to impose their rule of the saints in England. So they came over here and they imposed their rule of the saints upon the First Nations peoples after wiping them out with smallpox. It was strict Puritan orthodoxy. So they came to America not just in one ship, the Mayflower, but in hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of others as well, with every intention of taking the land away from the First Nations people to build their prophesied holy kingdom. Can you see how it can all go sideways when you've got false teachers, false shepherds twisting the Scriptures? You see, all the savages, all the savages that oppose the Puritan preachers, what would they do? Well, they would loud out Romans 13:2, in their Sunday sermons. That's what they would call, "Whatsoever, therefore, resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and that they that resist shall receive in themselves damnation," would be the Sunday sermons against the First Nation peoples." What's a real tragedy is the Wampanoag Indians, they were actually invited to a Thanksgiving feast for the purpose of negotiating a treaty that would secure the lands of the Plymouth Plantation for the pilgrims. That's what it began with. Let's invite them so that we can what? Secure a treaty For the Plymouth Plantation, in celebration of the Pilgrims' good fortune at the success of that meeting, the colony's governor William Bradford declared a three-day feast of Thanksgiving after the first harvest of 1621. That's your Thanksgiving. But the Pequot Nation, the Pequot Nation, excuse me, they hadn't agreed to this treaty. This treaty that Squanto, we've heard of Squanto, that Squanto in fact negotiated and the Pequot Nation, what did they do? They fought back because they did not agree to the treaty that Squanto had negotiated. So the Pequot War was one of the bloodiest wars that the Indians or the First Nation peoples had ever, ever fought. In 1637, this happened near present-day Groton, Connecticut, and over 700 men, women and children of the Pequot tribe had gathered for their annual green corn festival, which, of course, was turned into our Thanksgiving celebration. You see, so many people, even today, will be false teachers and they come up before you and they say, oh, look at the Sukkot ash. Oh, really, Thanksgiving, it was Sukkot. They're lying to you. It wasn't Sukkot. It would be wonderful if it was. We love everything Hebraic, but let's not lie to the people any more than we were lied to when we were in the church just to make us feel good, okay? It wasn't anything to do with Sukkot, okay? It was, in fact, something that they were celebrating, which was the annual Green Corn Festival because they did thank the Great Spirit for his provision, But people will just lie to try and Hebraic it up to you. And it's disingenuous. It's it's no better than when they were lying to you in the church about Christmas and Easter. Because it's convenient and it sounds good and it'll all help in our religious gatherings. But why do we need to lie? Let's just give you the real history, tell you the truth, and let the chips fall where they fall. We don't need to make it up to make us sound better and feel Hebraic about Sukkot. Sukkot is a biblical festival, but let's not lie about it and try and make it something native First Nation peoples when it's not so that we can celebrate Thanksgiving. Justification of unrighteousness still doesn't make it righteous. It's still unrighteous. So, in the pre-dawn hours, the sleeping Indians, they were surrounded by the English and the Dutch. These mercenaries then ordered all of these Indians to come outside. Those who came out were shot. Then they were clubbed to death, while the terrified women and children who huddled inside the long house were burned alive. Thanksgiving. The next day, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, he declared, a Thanksgiving Day! This is going to be a Thanksgiving Day because 700 unarmed women and children have been murdered. And Thanksgiving was ushered in. In fact, the Massachusetts Colony Governor, John Winthrop, proclaimed a Thanksgiving to celebrate the safe return of a band of heavily armed mercenary hunters, all colonial volunteers, the ones that had just returned from their journey to what is now mystic Connecticut, where they massacred 700 of the Pequot Indian tribesmen. You see, Thanksgiving was the thanksgiving over the massacre of of the Indians so that they then could take the land and thanksgiving over the return of the mercenaries safely. And this all happened at the festival of the green corn. This is history. This is truth. But the lies and the, oh, the convol Why am I teaching this? Because I overheard my son's homeschool curriculum. I'm like, this is insane, and it's Christian curriculum. This is insanity. I cannot have this in my house. This is insanity. It stops. I'd, thankfully, I haven't been brought up with the lies. It's easier for me to just go through it because I didn't get raised in this country. But I'm not going to raise my children with another generation of Christian lies about thanksgiving. And I'm not going to Hebraic it up and pretend and do some messianic lies either. Because that's just as bad. To try and justify unrighteousness, it's still unrighteous. So bear with me as I get passionate about this. Because I think it's important. Because it is a federal blueprint for internment. And if we don't understand what happened to the First Nations people, understand the exact paradigm is being played out, not only in France, which they put curfew and martial law, first time since what, nineteen What? 44. But that plan is already fully being implemented in America. That's why I'm teaching this. So following this especially successful raid against the Pequot Indians in what is now Stanford, Connecticut, the church has announced a second day of Thanksgiving to celebrate victory over these heathen savages. During the feasting, they hacked off the heads of the natives and they were kicking them through the streets like footballs, or soccer balls, as you'd say. Even the friendly Wannapoeg didn't escape the pilgrim madness. Their chief was in fact beheaded, and his head was impaled on a pole in Plymouth, Massachusetts, for 24 years. In 1675, all hell broke loose, and there was a war, and it was called King Philip's War, because they had enough. The First Nation peoples... They had enough. The killings became more and more and more frenzied with days of Thanksgiving feasts celebrated every time after a celebrated massacre of the savages. Thanksgiving is connected directly to the massacre of the First Nations peoples. It was connected directly to the return of the mercenary pilgrims successfully unharmed as they had slaughtered and decimated whole people. There was one Thanksgiving feast that then got turned into two days, that then got turned into three days, announced by the governors of the colonies. Let's be real. George Washington finally suggested that only one day of Thanksgiving per year be set aside instead of celebrating Thanksgiving every time that we massacre the native peoples because we're having Thanksgiving all the time now. Not just once, twice, three times. You're having Thanksgiving feasts every time you massacre the indigenous people. Let's just do it once a year. Later, Abraham Lincoln decreed Thanksgiving Day to be a legal national holiday during the Civil War. And on the same day, he ordered troops again to march against the starving Sioux in Minnesota. You see, the Puritans were the ones that started slaving. The Indian slaving, which then was so successful, they decided, well, let's go Instead of on the east coast of America, why don't we go to the west coast of Africa and bring them to the east coast of America because we don't have many slaves left. They all died from smallpox. So Indian slaving then grew to Native um, African-American slaving, courtesy of the pilgrims. So successful was the early trade in Indian slaves that several, several Puritan shipowners in Boston began to practice raiding the Ivory Coast of Africa for the black slaves to sell to the propriety colonies of the South, thus founding the American Black Slave Revolution and Trade. William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, he wrote in the Pequot about the Pequot Indian Massacre. This is what he said. This is the governor of Plymouth, mind you. Those that escaped the fire were slain with the sword, some hewed to pieces, others run through with their rapers, so that they were quickly dispatched and very few escaped. It was conceived they thus destroyed about 400 at this time. It was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire, horrible, was the stink and scent thereof. But the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice. And they gave the prayers, therefore, to God, who had wrought so wonderfully a victory for them of thanksgiving. The Wanapoag speech, this is from a Wanapoag Indian, and this is a speech that he spoke before the town of Plymouth Rock, Thanksgiving 1970. Today is a time of celebrating for you. A time of looking back to the first days of white people in America. But it is not a time of celebrating for me. It is with a heavy heart that I look back upon what happened to my people. When the pilgrims arrived, we, the Wampanoags, Welcome them with open arms, little knowing that it was the beginning of the very end. That before 50 years were to pass, the Wanpanoag would be no longer, would be a tribe no longer. That we and other Indians living near the settlers would be killed by their guns or dead from diseases that we caught from them. Let us always remember the Indian is and was just as human, as the white people. You see, Thanksgiving truly is the blueprint of how the federal government deals with perceived hostiles. And don't you think, because you are a believer in Yahweh, that you are what? None other than a conservative perceived hostile. And you might want to refer to Jade Helm and the Red List, and you might find yourselves on it. Because you are a perceived hostile. And the federal government does thus to perceived hostiles. Those of us that choose to live peacefully, farming, living off the land, trying to live off the grid if we can, people that object to the government's plans for expansion, control, and re-education, we are perceived as hostiles. And now we know that scripture where it says, you will be betrayed by members of your own family. Because one of the most degrading things that the federal that the U.S. Army did to the Native Americans, the First Nation peoples, is that when they had slaughtered all of their families and they put them in the reservations, then they would starve them. And then when they were so desperate from starvation, they would offer them... And they were freezing without clothes, with soiled, moldy blankets. When they were at their lowest, they would go to the once braves and they would offer them the thick wool blue coats, the blue coats. And they would say, we will pay you with food, rations, and warmth to be scouts so that you can now go out and find us more of the First Nations peoples. Because they couldn't track them themselves. So they actually had to use members of your own family to come against you. That's the federal blueprint. That's the federal blueprint. Members from your own tribe to spy on you and to hunt you down. That's how it all begins. That's how it all begins. That's how it all begins. That's the federal blueprint. Once the U.S. Army had broken down those enslaved Indians, then they employed them as mercenaries, blue-coat scouts who betrayed their own people, leading the army into the camps of other still free tribes. In fact, the army, just locally here, they employed the Tonino Indians as mercenaries from Warm Springs Indian Reservation right here. The Indians from the Warm Springs Indian Reservations, they were the mercenaries that went out against the Modocs in Northern California. But there's a connection the Native American connection and the Agenda 21 policies that we now live under. You see, let's talk about Agenda 21. Because Agenda 21 is a sustainable development program. Any of you familiar with Agenda 21? It's a sustainable development program. It's called urban planning, or action Planning, which calls for the government to eventually take control of all land without leaving any decision-making in the hands of private property owners. That's Agenda 21. It's the expansion of government power at the expense of what? Individual liberties. Do you see the connection here? By making the population more dependent on city infrastructure controlled by the government. The First Nations peoples, they didn't need the white man. So first of all, they took away their food. They killed over 80 million buffalo and left them rotting, rotting where they lie. First of all, they're going to poison your food. Then they're going to poison your water. Then they're going to take away your clothing. And when you're cold, hungry, and naked, they're going to offer you a solution. Because we don't need them, so first of all, they have to make a need. The native First Nations people, they didn't need a thing from the pilgrims. Nothing. The pilgrims needed something from them. They didn't need a thing. They were dependent upon the creator. They understood animal husbandry and land stewardship and loving your neighbor. They had it all except the greatest peace. They didn't understand the Saviour. We had a mission to come over here and give them the Savior in return we were supposed to receive honorable animal husbandry, land stewardship, and loving your neighbor. But we got greedy. We got greedy for what? Trading the goods and the gold. And this is of course brought a great wound and a sickness and devastation to this land and to this culture. And if you don't think that it has affected this culture, it has. I can see it from an outsider moving here. You can see it. When I moved here, I lived in Seattle. Do you know how many Native Americans I knew in Seattle? And they were all on the streets. Alcoholics, drug users. Why were they on the streets? Because If they weren't in the reservation, they were given money to go into the urban environment and they were promised housing, they were promised all this and they would get many of the First Nation peoples out of the reservations into an urban environment and then they would leave them, pull the resources back and they had nothing. They had no tools. They had no skills. They were ill-equipped. They were taken from their reservation, even in the 20th century, and put in the urban environment. And then the programs were pulled from them, and they're left, and they're ill-equipped. You see, this people don't even understand that part of the history. Oh, they were just put on the reservation. Oh, they're just all drunks, and they're in the cities. How did they get in the cities, and where did they get the alcohol from? It's a terrible thing. I would have conversations. Very puzzling. Very puzzling. Agenda 21 really is the key because that's exactly how they're implementing the very policies that the pilgrims implemented with the First Nations peoples. It's the expansion of government power at the expense of the individual's liberties by making the population more dependent upon city infrastructure controlled by the government. You see it with our young people. Get them so dependent. They don't even know how to take care of their health. They think the Obama program's gonna take care of their health. So they don't even look after what they eat themselves. They don't know how to diet. They don't know how to eat. They don't know how to exercise. They don't know how to put medicine in themselves. They think, go and take antibiotics. There's other ways. You see, dependence upon the government is key for the FEMA reservation complex. And those of us that are independent and sustained by Yahweh are none other than what? A serious threat. A serious threat, and in fact, are the enemy combatants. That's what it is in the the political papers right now. You'll see that, the jade helm. You'll see that. Much like the military political reservation complex where men made fortunes. They made fortunes winning contracts and funneling bad food shoddy blankets and poisonous whiskey to thousands and thousands of Indians trapped on reservations. You see, the reservation became an industrial military complex where the white man would win. They would bid on the contracts. They would bid on the contracts for the blankets. So guess what? They'd go and find all the soddy used blankets left over from the Civil War. And they would bid. They'd get hundreds of thousands of dollars and they'd get the blanket contract. Then they'd get the food con- They'd get all the spoiled rations or they'd run up a, a, a herd of, of, of um, Texas longhorn cows. By the time they got to the Northern Territories, they were starving. But they it became a multi- million-dollar industry of winning contracts. Do you think right now anything has changed? It's about winning the contracts, right, for the military-industrial complex. Do you know that we have got more prisoners in America than any other country in the world? And do you know the amount of money that is made on putting people in reservations, sorry, prisons? All the contracts for the food, for the clothing, for everything. I mean, that is how the globalists work it. Because it's none other than a military political reservation complex. It's the same thing. It's all part of Agenda 21. And then guess what? They bring in the poisonous whiskey. We have got more. In the past three months, we have got more marijuana clinics in Oregon than Starbucks and McDonald's in Oregon. Oh, it's legal, okay. And it was legal for the Indians to drink whiskey too. But is it good? It's going to dumb you down and enslave you so you can get round up and you can be dependent because you're living in your mum's basement smoking weed and you can't hold a bloody job. Right? Right? Yes. It's all part of the same, same. Military, political, reservation complex. Men making fortunes, winning contracts, funneling in bad food, shoddy blankets, and poisonous weed, whiskey. To the thousands of people that will be trapped in megadomes, reservations... And the U.S. Army watched on as once great chiefs would have to watch on as their women and children would just wither away before their very eyes with starvation, all under the watchful eye of the government. This is FEMA today. Surely you understand this, or am I I totally off on a tangent here that no one's getting it? Because this is what I see. And it ultimately goes back to thwarting and thumbing the nose, just like Nimrod did it as Yahweh. Because Yahweh said what? See, this is key. This is key to enslavement is this. Yahweh said that you and I would have dominion over what? Over what? Over the earth. So the key to your enslavement is to reverse the words of Yahweh and the the earth is to have dominion over us. So, whatever you're doing that could damage the earth, that needs to stop. You and I are slaves of Mother Earth. It's reversing the words of Yahweh. That is what the globalists are doing, and they'll do it and get you in the internment camps because you don't obey. Can't you see it? It's everywhere. It's all about the environment and global warming. Man is subject to the environment. No, the environment is subject to man. Yes, we need to learn good land stewardship, but we are not subject to the environment or the environmentalists. That's what the Bible teaches. So what does S.A. Tan do? He twists it. To enslave you all, to enslave us all, it's elevating land above man. And that is what happened to the First Nation peoples, elevating land above man. It's the reverse of the Bible mandate. Environmentalism, excuse me, Agenda 21 environmentalism is key to the FEMA reservation implementation. It's called the precautionary principle, and that's what they're working right now. The precautionary principle. You're guilty until you're proved innocent. That's called the precautionary principle, and it was used on the Native American peoples, especially the great tribal chiefs. It was an end to national sovereignty, the abolition of private property, the restructuring of the family unit. That's key, isn't it? They've got to restructure the family unit. Increased restrictions on mobility and individual opportunity. That's Agenda 21, but they got it from the reservation complex. That's exactly what they did to the First Nations peoples. Human beings are to be concentrated into human traffic settlement zones, according to Agenda 21. Educational systems are to focus on the environment as the central organizing principle. And you see it more and more. This is Agenda 21. Human beings are to be concentrated into human settlement zones. Educational systems are to focus on the environment as central organizing principles. How can this be implemented? That's the question. Ask the natives. You steal a generation of children and you indoctrinate them with these ideas and they become global citizens in a global village which is packed and stacked next to high-speed light rail systems. For them to be able to implement this system, they have to steal away a generation of our youth. They have to then indoctrinate them into this environmentalism and this whole Agenda 21, and then they'll get the families to live packed and stacked right next to the fast rail, light rail systems when then the FEMA trains will be running. That's exactly what they did with the first native peoples, with the Native Americans. For them to be able to get their program implemented, they had to do what? Steal the Native American children, ship them off to boarding schools, and indoctrinate them in their cultural and theological brainwashing. And you see that today. They're stealing a whole generation of our youth because they will use that generation to enslave the rest of us. This is all Agenda 21. The entire purpose of public school second grade social studies is to transfer loyalty from the family to the federal government. You do realise that. That's the entire purpose of public school second grade education in social social studies, to transfer loyalty from the family to the federal government. That's what they're teaching today in second grade social studies. Why are they today, you wonder, or you see it? I mean, how many of you, you go to the store and you buy something? I, I'm going to do this. My wife does it just for a rise. I'm like, oh, I've got to get in on that. That's going to be funny. When you buy something and you get cha- and, and they, they they like get the change and the receipt and they... Could you, could you count that back to me, please? They don't even know how to count back change. They're looking for a number. They're looking on, they, 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 well, uh, they look on the, like the computer's going to tell them, oh, $2.60. No, could, could, you, could you count it back to me, please? They don't even know how to count. I mean, they've been so dumbed down, they can't even count back change. Why? Why do they do that? It's called Education for Sustainable Development, Agenda 21. Quote, generally, more higher education... Listen to this. This is Agenda 21. Why are they dumbing down a whole generation? Quote, generally... More higher educated people who have higher incomes consume more resources than poorly educated people who tend to have lower incomes. In this case, more education increases the threat to sustainability. You've got it. Agenda 21 right now. Higher educated people earn more money, and they tend to what? Use up more resources. Poorly educated people, they've got no money. They ain't got no resources. It is much better for sustainability and taking care of the environment. In a nutshell, that's why they're dumbing down the whole generation. It is all part of the globalists' tyranny, and ISIS and ISIL are their army to implement it by bringing terror to your neighbourhood so that they can bring order out of the chaos. And they'll bring their puppets before you, Obama. They'll bring their puppets before you, Holland in France. They'll bring their puppets before you, Cameron in England. And they'll say, oh, this is a terrible thing. But they won't do anything about it because this is their policy, and it is exactly what they did to the Native Americans. So when you sit down with your families and celebrate Thanksgiving in two weeks, mark these words, take them to heart, and let's be a people of action. Because if we don't understand what Thanksgiving is really about, it's going to come creeping onto your door before you know it. Before you know it. It is serious. This is an admonishment for you. And it's not happy-clappy, but you can get happy-clappy after this. But right now, we need to realize what the hell is going on in this world. And how many pastors, preachers, and rabbis are willing to tell you this stuff? They're going to give you the same old shoddy sermons, give you the same old nonsense, and as the world is going to hell in a handbasket and not give you the scriptural tools and the history to say, come on, wake up. Wake up. We have to. We have to prepare. We've got to join the priesthood, not a denomination, and join together. Go and witness to the First Nations people and say, you know what? Bring your drums, bring your dance into the worship circle of the great creator, Yahweh. Teach us how to live off the land. Teach us how to be mobile and travel quickly. And we'll teach you about the Malkit Zedek, the great son, Yeshua. Not the white man's religion of perversion and pilgrims, but we'll teach you about the Malkit Zedek priesthood. But teach us how to worship him in spirit and truth with these great, wonderful cultural things that you do. Let's come together and let's now take this to the next level because it has to happen in this great land. It is not going to stay this way any longer. We have to join with all the people, the First Nations people. And we have to bring the Malkitzedic restoration message. Because we need them as much as they need us. Because we are all one tribe in Yeshua. We had a message. And it was the Malkitzedic. But they have a message animal husbandry land stewardship how to pack and travel and live off the land and be ready to live where you are no longer dependent upon this system that you can truly live off the grid and that's 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 what's coming and it's a renaissance it will be a renaissance for believers it will be a renaissance for believers Native Americans are very familiar with this type of control through subversion. We can see that now. Broken treaties. Broken treaties are the bedrock of the FEMA plan, as broken treaties were the bedrock of the reservation system. They were penned deceptively, just like our Obama program and Patriot Act have been penned deceptively. I got fined $1,800 this year. $1,800 on my taxes because I don't have health insurance. Just add it. It's illegal. I legally don't have to pay that fine. But do I want to fight the IRS? Because if I pay over, which of course I do, they will just hold back that money that I owe in the fine. Because I don't want to sign up for the Obama program. Because I have another doctor. And his name isn't Obama. You see... It's all about false treaties and broken promises, the Patriot Act and the Obama program. Be careful if you've signed up for that. Be really careful, because your signature is key. What they would do is they would invite all of the war chiefs to sign the treaties. But after a while, they started to get smart, and they wouldn't sign. So then they would go and they would get the youth, the young Indians, and they would make them sign. And then they would present and say, look, they signed the treaty, but they hadn't. The leading eldership oftentimes were absent at the councils deliberately. They wouldn't sign the treaties. And then the Native Americans, the First Peoples, they began to get smart, and they would build into the treaties that there had to be two-third Native Americans there to even for the treaty to stand because they realized that these were penned deceptively with treachery. And that treachery would lead to their very enslavement and the elevation of the, le- of, of the land above man, because that was what it was all about. And we see this with the Patriot Act and Obamacare. These are used to trick people out of their Yahweh given rights and funnel them into restricted reservations, or like we see these FEMA zones, for their safety and protection. It's for your safety and protection. You need food. You, we have food. You need clothing. We have clothing. You need shelter. We have shelter. You need first aid. We have... F- oh, the water's got too much fluoride and... poor. Oh, you know what? We, we've got our own water. Come in. Come in. Come, come, come into the sports stadium. There's cots for you to... Come on in. When you're in there, people are getting attacked. Women are being raped. They don't tell you this stuff. In Sweden, one out of four women is raped by Islamic men over the past two. One in four since the migration. And do the politicians, these leaders, do they speak out? We need to watch out for our women. We need to watch out for our children. And we as men need to rise up as believers and say no more. It's outrageous. It's aggrievous. It's incomprehensible that people put up with this. And then you wonder why what happened the other night happened. Of course, once they funnel you into these safety zones where it's fully protected and you're restricted, this is where the government handouts are promised to you. But they're never going to be fully realized. You understand that, just like with the Native Americans. When and if they do arrive, those government handouts they will either be greatly diminished, spoiled, or they'll carry the very diseases designed to wipe out the resisting population and implement the Georgia Guidestones policies which is what? Population reduction, to secure the future for the elite generations. Who's seen that new movie with George Clooney? What is it called? Like Tomorrowland or something? It's all about population reduction, and it's about the elite living off the planet. In another dimension, free from the desolation that is soon gonna be coming upon the earth, the Armageddon that's all gonna be coming upon the earth because man didn't elevate the environment above himself. I mean, you should see the messages in the movies. I mean, they do it. Satanic, the satanic system is, the pride of Satan is about flaunting in front of you what they're about to do knowing that you're so stupid that you won't even... They love it. But we're not stupid because we have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and we have the eyes to see. But they flaunt it before the dumbed-down generation. It is the pride of life, the pride of Satan, flaunting what they're about to do right before your very eyes. They have to put it in the movies. It's all part of the satanic ritual. It's key if you research it that they do that. They've always done that. This tomorrow land, you've got them living in another planet, in another dimension, the elite and all of the serfs, all of the slaves are left on planet Earth. Then they launch, they, 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 they even tell you in that movie that the launches to the moon, they didn't really go to the moon. It was really a cover for interdimensional travel. And of course, where do you get access to this secret, esoteric, off-planet living? Disneyland. It's insane. It's an insane, you'll be like, if you, you'll watch that and you'll be like, I mean, my head was spinning for hours like, okay, i trying to put it all together. The subliminal messages in that... And, and what did George Clooney... How much did he give to Obama? He had Obama to his house, and I think he gave him $15 million campaign money. He invited Obama to his personal residence before he was president. Funded him. I mean, oh my goodness. This, this is... I, I, just, I just, I do not, I can't believe I am living in this generation. And I can't believe that Yahweh is so good to me to allow me to speak before you. It's an honor and a privilege. And I know you think I'm crazy, some of you. But you know what? A few of you actually have got ears and you don't think I'm crazy. Because you know what? People today, they think it's crazy, like we saw on the film roll. That the Government would enslave an entire generation and put you in a reservation. Well, now we're too sophisticated for reservations. We've got FEMA. We've got the Department of Homeland Security. We're dumbing down a whole generation of your children, and they'll live stacked and packed right next to the high-speed rail lines so when we pull the plug, we can ship all you off right to the FEMA Project Center where we'll diminish your food, poison you, and we'll bring the diseases in on the blankets so that we can kill you and implement the Georgia Guidestone policies because ultimately we need to elevate the land above humanity. And we'll start teaching your children in the second grade to detach from the family and attach to the federal government. So, should we celebrate Thanksgiving? The million-dollar question that you're all one. I've made arrangements for two weeks. Should we celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, it's not a pagan feast. It's not a pagan feast. It's not an affront to Yahweh. It doesn't replace any of the feasts of Yahweh. It's simply, today, an American national holiday that has been repackaged for mass consumption. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with sitting down with family and friends on Thanksgiving and having a turkey meal and being with your loved ones. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're truly wise, if we're truly discerning, we'll recognize and we'll teach to our children its sinister past, and we will be watchful. We will be watchful because the Illuminati has already began implementing the very practices, policies that surround the history of thanksgiving and the First Nations peoples. So if we're wise, we'll use it as a time to get access to our loved ones and teach them true history. Tell them to watch out for what is happening because we can use it as an opportunity for redemption. Because it's not on a front, and it's not replacing any of Yahweh's feasts. It's not syncretism. It is a national holiday that's been hijacked, and it has been misrepresented, and has not been taught correctly. But we can teach it correctly, and then we can use it as a time of planning, preparation for the days ahead. But we also need to be fully aware of the days and the times that we live in. Amen? Questions, comments, anybody? A little bit heavy there, I understand. We had uh, two comments, just uh, my people for lack of knowledge, and also they just said, wow. Wow, mm-hmm. well, it is uh, very, very interesting times. We really, truly do need to be watchful, though. We need to learn from the Native American peoples because they came to understand that the white man's laws were really an illusion that didn't apply to them. And you'll come to understand, truly, that the laws of this administration, they are an illusion, and they don't apply to you and I. Because those that make those laws themselves, they are above the law. If they weren't, Hillary Clinton would be in prison. Right. John Kitsuba would be in prison. Because those who make the laws are, in fact, themselves above the laws. You see, the laws of this administration are truly an illusion, and they don't apply to you and I. These career politicians that are paraded out in front of tragedy, Holland in France, Cameron in England, and Obama, these people are, in fact, above the laws that they make themselves. They should be in jail. They should be in jail. We've got a lot to be thankful for, for sure. We have a lot to be thankful for. But we must be prepared and we must learn from the past to avoid the FEMA military political reservation complex which is coming in the future father yahweh we ask that you would truly give us the eyes to see the abba that you would give us the words to speak to the first nation peoples all over this country the abba that we would truly be able to teach the message of the malchizedek as we were charged to do over 400 years ago but we failed And Abba, in return, let us receive the gift. You see, it was all about a gift. We were supposed to give a gift, and we were supposed to receive a gift in return. But instead, we just took. Abba, forgive us. Forgive us, Abba. And I thank you so much for, Abba, the opportunity to meet a First Nations family and for them to pray over me at Sukkot this year and welcome me to this land and anoint me with oil. And now this message has gone forth. It's truly a miracle. The Yahweh is with us. He's with his people. But we're to remember who are the people of this land. None other than the First Nations people. Amen.